Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And tonight we're talking timber management, forest fires. I think most of us um, remember if we were around anywhere, well, gosh, you, anywhere in the Northwest, actually, um, a couple of years ago on Labor Day, or right after Labor Day, uh, when fire <clears throat> ripped through uh, the McKinsey Valley, the Santa Am Valley, uh, down at Archie Creek, um, it, it wiped out tons of people's livelihoods and lives. And um, it's uh, Matt, I'm going to bring him right in here, Matt Hill with the Douglas uh, timber operators. Um, dude, you put together the nicest series of videos. And this one, I think, um, I mean, we've had, I think we've aired two or three. This one hit me the hardest when I watched this one, because this is pretty raw. Yeah. It, we start getting into the human stories of, of what happened in the fire, as opposed to just firefighting and trees burning and, and that sort of thing. So you start feeling the heartbreak and, and now looking back at it a couple of years later, and I, I've gotten to know some of these people, it's hard to see the situation they're still in uh, to, over two years later. And, and Matt wasn't a movie producer or anything. He's just a, a guy with a camera who turned out to be a very, 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 very talented uh, video producer. Uh, put this together. He works for Douglas Timber Operators. And um, man, um, I, I think... What I got out of this one was I, I just how people's lives, a lot of these people probably will, will like Frank and Jeannie Moore. Um, they, they, they got some of his medals back and some of that, but you never restore the years of working on a home, a property, businesses, buildings. Um, you know, the people that lost their businesses, you put everything you have into that. And, and one of the reasons I think People, folks were showing you this is one to just put some, you know, some um, content to it and context to the to the story, but also to kind of give people an idea that's to, to say um, we have to all of us get involved in the conversation of timber management. This can't be left up to the courts. It can't be left up to um, the environmental crowd. It can't be left up to the timber industry. This has to be a conversation that now the general public, and I know people can say, well, they shouldn't be living out there. People have been living out there for hundreds of years. So that isn't the problem. This is a problem of not managing the forests and now we're not protecting people and their property. Don't you think, Matt? Absolutely. I mean, management, just like anything else is a choice and we can choose to do something or choose to do nothing. But what we're beginning to see, finally, with with wildfire management, forest management, is that doing nothing is not a good option. It it will lead to more severe fires, more damage to human life and property, and and the problem is getting worse because uh, you factor in climatic issues, you factor in more and more dead wood accumulating across the landscape because of these fires over the course of time. So the fires themselves are becoming worse and that poses a greater risk to human life. So you guys, what we're going to do is air the video and then we're going to bring on some other guests to talk about what happened, what was going on and where do we go from here? So it's Douglas Timber Operators are our main sponsor. We also have Buck Sanitary Service, which I find very funny that I always try to put them on this show because they provide a lot of the services, toilets, restrooms, all that kind of stuff for the firefighters. In fact, in fire season, Scott Weld, the owner, you don't even see him. I text him to try to get information. I can't find him because he's out there on those fires. Also, Chris Daniel Family Dentistry, as well as 
uh, New Leaf Hyperbarics and Wellness Center. So we'll play their stuff at the very end, but we want to get right to the video. So Matt, I'm going to pull up your video and then we'll be right back in just a few minutes, you guys, to talk about this. The days following the burnt of the homes and the fire, it was very evident that you know the public who may or may not have lost their home wanted to get back up to see what was left. We knew that there had been structures that were lost. We had been collecting information about these structures and which homes were standing, which ones had been damaged. There was a lot of uh, anxiousness in the community about what happened to my home? Uh, when can I get back in? And we knew we needed to communicate that uh, to the public as soon as possible so that they could begin uh, the recovery process. So we held a town hall in Glide. We had maps everywhere um, that showed, you know, basically home or no home. Uh, you know, in other words, did, did it burn or did it not burn? So as we did that meeting, uh, we as commissioners uh, and the sheriff and the assessor uh, and folks from the DFPA and the Forest Service and, and other organizations knew it was going to be very difficult. Uh, maybe one of the more difficult, if not the most difficult meeting I've done as a commissioner or as an elected official to literally look people in the eye and tell them their home no longer exists. Many of these people lost absolutely everything they had very, very little uh, of anything survived. The emotions at the community meeting were um, kind of all over the place. Uh, we had a lot of uh, folks who were um, very upset and crying, uh, understandably so. Um, I seen a lady who found out there and she just passed out on the floor and I know how she felt because that's kind of how I felt, but that was hard to see all the lost looks in people's eyes. So at the community meeting, um, that was a pretty powerful moment. I felt how blessed I was to live in Douglas County and have a, a, you know, our commissioners so engaged that they met with each of the uh, landowners and, and notified them. People were um, struggling with having lost everything, uh, but still took a moment to say thank you for the work that was going on. Uh, pretty, pretty amazing day and again, pretty difficult day. I know I wasn't the only one, but we all felt like we were the only ones. We brought in emotional support workers as well. Uh, that was a component that uh, we thought really was going to be needed. Uh, I, I knew several of the folks that came through there. Um, and so that, that emotion, is, it's mixed. Um, just uh, feeling the, uh, the empathy and the sympathy for them. I think there was some uh, denial, maybe, or, or or hope that there was something left 
we decided we would we would organize a day where we could escort people in and let them get to their property and see with their own eyes um, what was left. You know, we were all nervous about going up there, but as we got past the roadblock and got up and seen, you know, it was still smoldering, it was still burning, we got dead silent. There was no more talking or trying to joke to make things light. It was devastating for all of us. When we pulled in, um, we were we were all in shock and everything was still hot and you could feel the heat coming off of all that. And it, all of us walked around just like in a fog, looking at stuff and hugging each other and telling us we're all still family. And we've still stuck together as family. We engaged all of the local, um, the local faith-based organizations in this process because these, this is their community. And we were really, really vocal about that. We wanted to make sure that they were involved as much as possible. The pastor that was there, I used to go to that church years ago, and he was the one assigned there. And I'm grateful he was there because he stood there with me and helped me through that. But I know that there's a reason that that pastor was there, and, I, and it was somebody I knew. It was a tough day. You know, some people knew already that they weren't gonna, there wasn't gonna be anything left there. Others knew only by what they had been told, but their imagination, they, they weren't able to really imagine what that was gonna look like until they actually got there and saw it. And some people just, you know, just lost control. I mean, they were, it was a very emotional day for a lot of people up there. Okay, Matt, I'm gonna bring you up here. Wow, um, that had to be hard to shoot. Uh, yeah, it, it's hard to shoot because uh, that was pretty soon after the fire. I mean, just looking back, you know, the, some trees had been cut, some were still there, like up at Eugenia's house. Everything was looks like it, it was right after the fire. I had been up there to help get something out of there, and things were still warm, like like Joe A was talking about. You could, the heat was just so intense that anything metal just stayed hot for like a week. It was strange. Now I'm going to bring on Sheriff John Hanlon and also Lieutenant Brad O'Dell, who was also in the video, and also Tim Freeman, who was a, I almost <laughs> said Lane, sorry, Tim, Douglas County Commissioner. Um, <laughs> it just flies off my tongue after being there so long. So, gentlemen, talk to me about um, the, the kind of the human cost, the community cost. Um, of, of this fire? Well, I'll, I'll go first. Um, just watching that video uh, brings back a lot of that emotion. Um, by the time we had the community meeting, none of us had slept very much. We'd been working um, from, the, from the very beginning of the fire. All of us had uh, helping with evacuations and all the different work that, that was required. 
Um, by the time we had that meeting, and it, it took quite a while. It was, if I remember right, it was like something like four or five hours we were there. And I remember going home that night feeling so grateful that all those people made it out alive. And, um, you know, the work the sheriff's office did and the search and rescue people and ODOT and state police and everybody else to evacuate, you know, what was 30 miles of, of residents in just a matter of hours saved all those people. And, you know, we were there telling them about their home, but they were there to talk to. And if without that work, um, a lot of those people wouldn't have made it. How many people, Sheriff or, or Brad, how many people are we talking about? Brad, go ahead. I, I don't recall the exact number of homes, but this was a, I mean, this is a widespread area. We're talking, uh, you know, past Susan Creek all the way down into the, the glide area in some cases. And so there was, uh, there was a lot of logistical planning that needed to take place in order to get all of these people together in one place. Um, you know, that was a cooperative effort on, you know, behalf of the commissioner's office and the sheriff's office, as well as other government, county government officials. And uh, you know, we had local fire chiefs there that were assisting with this process. It was, a, it was a big coordinated effort, but it was something that we felt as a community was very important in, in letting these people know, because there was a lot of uncertainty and raw emotion that was floating around about, you know, what do I have a home? Do I not? And I remember Commissioner Freeman talking specifically about the the need to let people know so that they can begin that recovery process and filing whatever insurance claims that they may need to or seeking further assistance so that they could continue to make plans on how they were going to move forward with this. Because I think like the first time, because we were evacuated from Camp Creek on the McKinsey, and the first time we drove that section of 25 or 30 miles there, you don't realize how big that is. I mean, it kept, and I, and I know it's the same with you guys. You keep driving and driving and it's devastation and devastation and houses. And plus you don't know John and Bill's house is okay. And then here's Jane's house and it's destroyed and they're right next door to each other. I mean, fire is, it's, it's so weird like that. I mean, we, you know, one neighbor loses, so they feel guilty because the, the neighbor that's house is saved, they feel guilty because the, their next door neighbors is gone, yet they're relieved that they're, I mean, it's just so much, I can see why you brought people in because there's so much mental garbage that goes along with this as well. Well, it's important to remember each of those homes is a family. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, you see them as a structure and we report them that way and sort of talk about them that way, but that's an entire family's life. And many of those people got out with you know, what they had on their back and in their car, and that was it. Uh, it, it happened very quickly. And again, luckily, uh, people listened to the people that were, you know, to the people that were up doing evacuations, uh, the people that lived there listened to them and they left. Um, you know, we for days thought that we might have a different outcome and were relieved when we found that nobody, nobody perished in the fire. I mean, it is pretty amazing to know. I don't remember all of Oregon's statistics from the, all those fires, the San Am all the way down, but I very few, I mean, I don't remember there being um, any loss of life or much yeah. loss of life. There, there's a handful, not in Douglas County, but uh, further up north. 
We, yeah. that, that was one of the things um, that, that we were actually very pleasantly surprised to learn in the early days of this was that we hadn't lost anybody as a result of being overrun by the fire. Certainly the day we were up there doing evacuations, you wouldn't have convinced me that if, if people weren't going to listen and follow our advice, that we weren't going to have fatalities. But, but like the commissioner said, everybody listened. And, and I think they could tell by the, the tone of, of our voice and the look in our eyes that this fire was different. This fire was burning at an unprecedented rate of spread, um, you know, somewhere in the area of, of 50 to 60 acres uh, a minute. And um, so I think people sensed that and when we started coming door to door. The other thing, you know, like the commissioner mentioned and the number of people that were affected, we we're not talking just 130 some residences, but families of 137 residences or however many it was. And when we had the town hall meeting, I, I think we had a couple hundred people there at least. Um, and that was one of the most difficult town hall meetings I think I've ever been involved in, uh, probably only second to the town hall following our Umpqua Community College shooting. But it, it was a very raw, emotional uh, four hours of sharing information about whether their home survived the fire or didn't. Because you knew. And you pretty much which ones did and which ones did from the video. It looks like, I mean, you could you could kind of give them pretty good information. Well, the, the sheriff's office and search and rescue and others had done quite a bit of reconnaissance. And instead of trying to do evaluations, they basically was home, no home. That's where that portion of the, of the video comes from. Uh, there's a formal process of fire departments doing actual evaluations, and we didn't want to get in the way of that. That process takes quite a bit of time. We thought it was important just to give them sort of the home, no home. And, and one interesting thing about our fire, very few homes sustained a little bit of damage. So if a home burnt, it was like completely gone, or it, like you said earlier, it, didn't, it missed it. You know, there were several homes up there that didn't burn, but there was no you know, partial damage to really much anything at all. It was pretty much total loss if it caught on fire. Now, Matt, one of the things we don't talk about that often, um, I didn't really think about it until after I started doing some stories on the fires around my house, um, is the timber companies are the first people out there um, and, and doing a lot just to, to get the fire under control. And they rarely get, I mean, they're taking expensive equipment, um, manpower, woman power, people power, they're out there you know, while the sheriff and the county is getting, you know, trying to get, save the people, these people are out there trying to stop this fire to save the homes too. Yeah, they, they were out on, on the perimeters of the fire with their heavy equipment. You know, the, a lot of the area was BLM checkerboarded areas. So you've got every other section is private industrial timberland. And, you know, one of the interesting things about the fire, and it goes to the sheriff's point about this fire was so different, is that, you know, in, in these video segments, there's not a lot of pictures of the fire because it was so intense that everyone was, you got evacuated and even the timber industry that was was fighting the fire was miles away because of the speed and, and intensity of it and so we only catch these glimpses of what the fire was really like i know that the sheriff and, and the commissioner were up driving through it in, in an earlier video it just gave you a sense of that but but that's kind of the eeriness of all this and i think also probably led to 
the, the confusion or denial about what had happened to homes is because one, people in this area aren't used to these types of fires. I mean, Frank Moore, he and his wife survived several fires. He put the hose in the pond and sprayed down his property and saved his house from multiple fires. And this was just not that kind of fire. And so I think that that was why the sheriff and, and the county had to, in many cases, show people what had happened because it was just so unbelievable that the scale of destruction I remember a woman in McKenzie, she was in um, Maida, and the fire was just starting um, and it was it was like 30 miles away. And she went to bed. She said, OK, we'll get up in the morning. They weren't evacuated, got up in the morning and there was ashes coming down in her yard and they ended up losing their entire home. Um, and she had no clue. She just said in in that amount of time, just a couple of hours, that fire went that entire distance, you know, and um, and it, it was a different fire. It was like nothing people have seen in 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 long, long time. Um, so what do we, you know, you know, we were talking earlier at the beginning about, so this, um, you know, we don't want timberland ruined. Um, we, we like to keep mills operating, um, but now we're starting our, our, our forest management, or in my own words, the lack thereof um, for fires, um, is starting to now impact. It, it, I mean, this is impacting 140 families and their stuff and their businesses and their belongings and their dreams and all. What, where do we, do you think this is enough to get this conversation going to a point where we start seeing some, some more cooperation on federal land of, of how to manage after a fire, how to manage a forest so that we aren't leaving tinder and kindling down there on the floor? to catch fire and, and end up doing this again. And next time, maybe we're not so lucky and more people and people actually die in a fire. I mean, where do we go from here? Well, I think the first thing, I mean, I, it's a wake up call to everybody in, in the West. And, and I think everyone knows someone who's, who's been affected at this point. And um, people are moving out of areas, not able to return to areas. And, and it should be starting a, a a national dialogue, but also local discussion about how to, how to deal with your situation. Communities need to plan for this. Uh, we need to be working with federal land managers on what their plan is for this. And, and that's what we're kind of dealing with locally is that, you know, what what is the plan for the next 50 years for these forests? And and some of that is in court. Some of it is it's just a discussion with the Forest Service and BLM. Um, how are we going to, how are we going to manage these events in the future? How are we going to minimize the impacts of them, how to stop the spread of them. And those are the conversations that need to be happening. And, you know, unfortunately, right now, what I'm saying is that a lot of money is going to a few places, um, places with large populations like California or up around Mount Hood or around Bend of Central Oregon. But the places that are burning, like up the Umpqua and up the McKenzie and up the San Am, they don't they don't rank high on these systems. There's not enough people, not enough big big houses to, to be a priority. Yeah, so so the burden falling on us, and, and we've got to get all hands on deck: industry, communities, local government, federal government, law enforcement, and and figure out how we want these forests to function, and how we want to meet this you know lifetime generational challenge of wildfire. Because John, as a public safety, that's your job in Douglas County, and how are you able to do your job when you got, okay, some uh, a private timber company 
they're cleaning up, they're managing their force, but you got the next door neighbors called the BLM or the Forest Service, and they're not. How, how, from a public safety standpoint, how do you fight this? Or, or at least go in and address it and say, what are we going to do about this? That's a good question, I, and I don't know the answer to it. Uh, I know it's very frustrating, and, and you know, even on the heels of a, of a disaster like this fire we're talking about, you would think that the federal, uh, the Forest Service and the BLM um, could use that as an opportunity or a turning point to, to start doing better forest management and going in and, and cleaning up and, and taking out the burned trees um, and start doing reforestation and start managing the forest, you know, in a fashion that, that makes the, the forest healthier and safer uh, for the community. So Rick, in the 2016 resource management plan that governs how the BLM is to manage the ONC lands uh, precludes any sort of post-fire salvage on 80% of the land. So that, that was one of the reasons the Association of ONC Counties, along with some industry partners, filed lawsuits against that. So there is work being done in the court to say this idea of leaving all this burnt wood on the ground for the next fire doesn't make sense. No. Uh, you know, we talked about nobody died in the fire. A lot of animals died in the fire and a lot of habitat was consumed in that fire. No. And that habitat isn't being restored. Uh, and those animals, of course, they're gone. So um, we have to do better. So is it, and I would add just one political thing, yeah. just recent, recent flavor. You know, the, the folks locally here, um, the, the timber staff and the, the resources people for forestry and BLM did, did a lot of work very quickly to, to recover the forest and, and get, according to the rules that they have, uh, get, get some wood out and, and prepare things for the future and get that forest growing again as best they can, which is not great. Right. Um, but I would add that very recently at, at, the, at the DC level, the, the Bureau of Land Management settled the lawsuit with environmental groups um, and, and agreed to get rid of one of the best tools they have to clear dead trees after a fire. It's called a categorical exclusion. Uh, and so they're taking away their own tools to help deal with this crisis, which is extremely frustrating. And um, and and I, I'm concerned about the direction that takes the agency because they are already incredibly constrained, and and really aren't able to tackle this challenge with the tools they have, let alone with the the fewer tools that they want to be able to have. And the recovery is like in the single digits percentage wise of the wood that burnt. So so I mean even though they did a good job under the plan, uh, don't walk away with the idea that somehow. Uh, these dead trees were removed from the, these lands and new trees were planted. Uh, the vast majority of the trees that died in the fire on public lands, both Forest Service and Owens, uh, BLM managed ONC lands, those trees are left to rot. And by leaving them to rot, you're creating kindling so that when the next fire, the next lightning strike comes down, it hits that. And then, I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. <laughs> but it seems like if you're trying to protect uh, timber for animals and then your very policies then destroy the animals or the habitat for those animals, like the spotted owl, we were trying to protect spotted owl habitat and now we destroyed it by a fire because our very policies that we're using to try to protect it actually ended up destroying the same thing. Is there some point 
And if I got any of that wrong, anyone can correct me. But is there some point when we go, okay, cut bait, we need to stop worrying about all the lawsuits and start actually managing managing the forests for animals, for plants, for trees, for jobs, for people, for communities, and for people's livelihoods. Is that a fair estimation? We have to hope there's some point. We haven't reached it yet. Well, what does it take, Tim, do you think? <laughs> I mean, I mean we're, the Association of Olympia Counties happen to be the president of that organization. Um, we've spent a fair amount of money and time in court, uh, again, industry uh, partners have also done some of that work, um, trying to get that answer. And um, it's frustrating when literally after these fires, uh, you're not even arguing over taking salvage from like logging units, you're arguing about taking roadside hazard trees out. Uh, you know, right after the fire, they still have value and the uh, the taxpayers, the people that live in this country would benefit from taking those dead trees out financially and they would be safer for people to travel in the forest and it would create um, some sort of fire block in the future. Uh, the environmental groups, many of them file lawsuits to preclude taking out hazard trees alongside the road. So again, we, we haven't got to a point where um, doing common sense work is common. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've come to the re realization, Tim, I think that there's no such thing as common sense. Sense is not common anymore. How does the public, how can we get the public involved in this? Because I think for so many years, the, 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 the courts have managed our forests and, and people, um, they, they, it, it sounds so, I, I think the, the story sounds so good. You know, oh, you just let things, Mother Nature takes care of it, just let it rot. And that's how that's how God intended it and stuff. But we've been managing forests for so many, so many. Oh, God, how long, man? I don't even know. I mean, over 100 years we've been managing these forests and the, and the Native Americans managed them before we did. Um, forest management is part of how you do it. And all you got to go is to Mount Hood or Mount St. Helens and look at how that happened. <laughs> and you realize that Mother Nature doesn't quite have the science that we know. <laughs> we understand how to garden and farm trees a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, management or not, man not managing is a management choice. And, right. and, you know, when I worked back in Congress a long time ago, we, we passed legislation working with the county, the Healthy Forest Restoration Act, which actually directed courts to compare the effects of taking action versus not taking action and then that area burning. So you actually got to compare you know, add in fire to the mix. And I'd like to see something similar to that here where no one's required to do an analysis of what happens if you leave 100,000 acres of dead wood to rot and reburn. Like that's not part of the NEPA process. That's just, it's just a question of cutting or not cutting. And so we're not projecting into the future um, and, and seeing the fires that are coming down. And, and what's, what's sad for this area and, and same for some of the others affected by the 2020 fires is that this isn't the, you know, people think that fire comes through and burns all the fuel. Oh no, the vast majority of the fuel is standing there, dead, drying, air, you know, air dried firewood that will reburn again. And, and that's what happens in Western Oregon. So 15, 20, 30 years from now, all that dead standing firewood is, is gonna blow up and, and it's gonna, it could potentially be far worse than Archie Creek was. And, and that's gotta be part of that planning, you know, um, thinking as well. So Tim, in, in, somebody asked on here, 
uh, tax revenues from ONC timber sales supporting schools. Um, is, yeah, so they're on the right track. It's not tax revenue. So the public owns that timber that's there. When that timber is sold, there's a revenue sharing program that shares that value, which is a little different than a tax. So it's actually when the commodity, when the wood is sold into the market, uh, the, the government, um, federal government makes money doing that and they share that with the counties and schools. So yeah, there is absolutely a tremendous amount of value um, just, just in one summer of fires, the 2020 fires, it's, there's billions with a B, billions of dollars of dead timber left to rot that could have been removed, run through mills, made products, the carbon could have been sequestered, the, the money to replant and to start new forest growing and new habitat growing would have been generated and there could have been money also for future fire events. But instead it's all left, the values left out there to rot. Well, and not to mention then that also some of that revenue or that money uh, from the sale of that timber would come to county for county services to help people in, in Douglas County, Coos County, you know, Lane, all of them that are ONC counties. counties. And we have such a struggle apparently with funding education in Oregon. Well, when you take one of the stools, one of the three legs off the three legs off the stool, um, what do you expect to happen? That money could be going in to finance our schools and get kids back up to snuff where they need to be. Are we as Oregonians just not educated enough? Um, are we, and I'm using the word ignorant because that's really the term, not stupid, but ignorant. Are we ignorant of how the system works? And if we understood it, we might be in a little bit of an uproar. So there's been quite a bit of statewide polling. Most people believe after these catastrophic fires that the government goes in and takes the dead wood off, cleans the forest up and replants it. That's just a belief that's out there. And largely they see you know, the checkerboard lands where you see the log trucks coming off of the wood and they just assume that's the public land when it's actually the private timber guys doing the right thing, removing the dead wood, planting new forests uh, and, you know, doing a reset on the land. Uh, and then the public land gets left. And it's, you know, we wrote a letter to Congress and to the president actually asking for a reset of these lands. You know, it was time for, for man to step in and say, yeah, we've got all these plans in place, but none of them contemplated a fire storm like we had in 2020. This is the time to step in and do the right thing and reset the lands. That happened after the Tillamook fire. That happened after the Columbus Day storm. It happened after the Oxbow fire. We have examples here in Oregon after these catastrophic events where the wood was removed, new forests were planted, and those areas are some of the most beautiful areas in our state today because there was action taken. And maybe the message needs to go out to the public um, <clears throat> that what one of you, somebody brought it up already, is that by planting those new trees, you're creating a carbon filter um, and a sequesterer uh, like nothing that you can, that man can create on his own. So you're putting out there, you, you, by, by reforesting and taking out the dead and dying wood that's actually putting carbon into the air, you're actually putting, you're, you're kind of building a, a what, a filter system um, that is natural and, and, uh, and we're helping mother nature out rather than just letting it sit there and rot. And the agencies will go out and try to reforest, but they try to reforest amongst the dead trees and the brush has grown up now and, and the 
likelihood of the reforestation being successful is much less now, just a few years later, than if they were to have removed that dead timber and planted new trees. And again, on, on the ONC, it's checkerboard. You can look at the very next square mile and see what the private industry has done. You go out there in just four or five years and it looks, it's green again. It's, it's growing timber and it, you know, it looks beautiful. You go out there in 10 or 15 years and, and it's extremely healthy and growing uh, until the next fire because of the dry wood on the public uh, checkerboard portion. So Tim, does any of that ONC money that comes to the county, does that go to the sheriff's office or is that a separate budget? Um, we use um, absolutely timber receipts that funded the sheriff's budget, yes. So, so Sheriff and, and, and Brad, <laughs> boy, you could use some some funding, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I wanted to comment on that, you know, the, the lack of, of removal of some of these, uh, the trees and, and wood that's in these burn scars. Um, over the years, you know, one of the responsibilities of the sheriff is search and rescue missions. And we have a, a, a number of um, forest trails and, and uh, remote, you know, lakes and the North Umpqua Trail is a pretty famous trail that that, that extends the whole length of the, of the North oh, Umpqua River. And beautiful. Those are all very, very popular trails for, for outdoor enthusiasts and, and hikers. And we continue to see an increase in the number of people that get lost and turned around on those trails because you know the fires have burned through there and now the snags are falling and the trails aren't kept up because there's landslides as a result of the burns and you know all those issues um and like i say we're just we're continuing to see an increase in the number of rescue missions that we have to go out on because of that lack of, of timber management so matt what is your hope with people seeing this and talking about this and and um the conversation has been steered in a direction for a long time and it seems to me that we need the we need the public to be informed about what they're missing out on what's actually going on well i think you know hopefully you're you're helping with that just to to show the public what happens at, during and after these fires and, and how it impacts human lives and 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 their lives forever many of these people left the area, uh, weren't able to stay here or afford to move back there and, and um, just become kind of nomadic because of, of the circumstances of our faces. But it, my hope is that, you know, as communities, as counties, as states, and as a country that, that we get more serious about tackling this. And whether you want to blame climate change or anything else for these fires, they're here, they're getting worse, and, and it's coming closer to you. And we have to have real tools and targets and metrics and funding and, and hold agencies accountable. And, and I think that's the challenge right now is we, we threw billions of dollars at fighting fires and billions of dollars at you know, landscape restoration, all, all these, these fashionable phrases. But you know, what is it doing on the Empire National Forest to reduce fire risk? What is it doing on the Mount Hood National Forest? What's the plan? What are the targets? Um, we, we do that for everything else. We do it for you know, military operations. And, and that's really what this is, is, is facing a threat and dealing with it. And not being afraid. I mean, we're so afraid of the, of the lawsuits and the courts. Um, it seems like that's, that's how the forests are being managed now. Instead of the, I think if people got in an uproar about this and enough people get their houses, you know, 
threatened by fire, I guess we'll get a lot of people, but that's a terrible way to have to wait through um, for something like that to happen. So Brad, let me, let me kind of tie this up with you. Here's where the rubber hits the road. You're the guy who has to go tell them their house is gone. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm certainly one of those people that was involved in that process. Um, but you know, I think Matt said it best. There's a human, there's a human factor here that we need to remember um, that these, these fires are devastating. Um, and, you know, for me, Archie was a bit personal. Um, I, I'm from that community. I grew up there. That's where my family has, has been my entire life. And so this was, this was in my backyard. These, this is in the, the heart of where I used to, you know, go and, and play in the woods and go on these hiking trails that the sheriff talked about. And so, you know, there's a, there's a very real impact uh, to all of us who have grown up here and, and been part of these communities. And that was, you know, something that we wanted to relay, um, you know, was that, yes, we're, we're here and we're with you. Uh, it's why we involved the local organizations and those, those faith-based organizations as well because these these are our communities and we're we're going to take care of our communities and and be there for each other and you know it's just like i said it, it was very i had a job to do sheriff had a job to do the commissioner everyone involved had something that they had to do um but you know we also recognize that there these are these are people and our neighbors who needed help and and we're part of their communities just as much as uh, as their neighbors and those who uh, lost their homes. So. so maybe what needs to be added into the equation um, as we're considering animals and trees and jobs is um, people. Maybe maybe human beings actually matter. Maybe we need to factor that in. And uh, I guess the only way to do that is if we uh, stand up and say, okay, we're done. Gentlemen, thank you so much for um, one, everything that you did during this fire. Um, it, it, you know, I, I can say this from personal experience, unfortunately. Um, boy, you sure understand what people are um, are made of. When I stood at my house and I'm trying not to, I didn't want to leave because I just wanted to stay there as long as I could. And I, I, I was, I kept, you know, standing there going, I don't, I can't, I just can't leave. And Kathy's like, we got to get out of here. And I said, I, what if we never come back, you know? And I'm watching my neighbors driving tons of trailers, horse trailers with cattle and sheep and goats and pigs and chickens. And they're driving right by my road all the way out of here. And they're just hauling ass like you wouldn't believe just going and then coming back. And I, cause I know the trailers got then a big horse farm multi-million dollar horse farms taking these air conditioning things and grabbing these animals and taking them past our houses it was like you felt like um if we could all get together as people like that how, how people help each other and really start working towards doing something to stop this from happening i think you could change it i really do i saw a powerful thing there as you guys did too is people are very powerful if they only understand that in their soul you know but you can't make them Gentlemen, again, thank you so much, uh, Matt, Tim, Brad, Sheriff John. And, and Sheriff, I won't even ask you about Measure 114. I'm just gonna say it and just pull you out of here because I, I just wanted, me, I wanted to see you smile. <laughs> you, the answer to that is coming. 
<laughs> okay. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Matt, thanks again. And we'll be back. Thanks, you guys. All right. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you. And thanks, Matt. Appreciate your stuff. We'll be back thanks, next Brad. month. So next month, Matt will be back with another part of the series. Um, there's, I think there's eight total uh, that you can watch. And then um, we will also get those. They're on our YouTube channel. If you want to go on to um, Go Go Rick Dancer, you can go on there and you can find them and watch them in sync as they go through. Um, it's really easy to do. Um, so again, I think, you know, bottom line, we have to get involved. We can't sit back and, and let somebody else, you know, you got Tim Freeman, here's county commissioners, the association of counties, they're, they're going after, they're going, they're doing everything they can. Um, but you're the power. I mean, we really are the power. If we say no more, it can happen, but we have to be willing to stand up and get our facts straight and understand this is um, not going to, it's not going to change easily but we can be part of that process. Um, and all you have to do, if you want to understand why, is drive through Archie Creek, drive through Glen, drive through the McKenzie Valley, drive through Santa Am Pass, because the, the horror is still in decay there. And you can still watch it and see what happened. It's, it's, it looks better, but it's not, it hasn't gone away. And it's only going to get worse. If you're tired of summers that look like this, um, where we're, you know, do you remember a day back in the day when you, you planned your vacation around September and October fires in Oregon? Never. And now that's the thing. Um, and if it really is about climate change, then why don't we start building some carbon filter plants out in the middle of the forest? And why don't we get rid of that dead and dying trees that are rotting out there? I, I'm okay with the climate change thing, but let's do something real about the climate change then. All right, our sponsors, other sponsors in addition, uh, Buck Sanitary Service, Chris Dental Family Dentistry, and Matt at New Leaf Hyperbarics. Matt has a special going on that I want you to see here and find out about because it happens on Saturday and you can get, well, I'll let him tell you because he knows better than me. Saturday is the Saturday following Thanksgiving. We do it during Shop Small Weekend, all that fun stuff for folks here locally. It's the time of year where folks can get the lowest price point of the year for their hyperbaric sessions. This year it's $65 a piece, as many treatments as folks want to put on their account. You can buy it at one, you can buy 10, 20, 30, 40. We have folks that come in and buy enough treatments to last them all year round. That also is for massage. So you can get massage $65 a piece. And starting last year, we incorporated our power bed into the sale. We can get the power bed for $35 a piece uh, for the 20 minute light therapy session as well. It's a great way to get the treatments you need so you can be as healthy as possible throughout the year using hyperbarics, massage, light therapy, all the goods to make you feel amazing. Answer. The midterm elections did not turn out the way many of us had hoped. So what can we do about it? Support local businesses that prioritize freedom of speech, tougher crime laws, and values that support a healthy community, not the same old song and dance that's gotten us nowhere. Even though my wife and I moved to Montana, we still come back to Eugene to see Dr. Michael Bratlin at Chris Dental. He says what he believes and puts his money where his values are by supporting those brave enough to push for change. 
And best of all, he and his team are just awesome. So if you've been thinking about changing dentists or you just don't have one, you need to go to Chris Dental. Call them today and they'll do their best to see you today. And of course, we want to thank also the Douglas Timber Operators, uh, which Matt Hill is an part of that organization for sponsoring our show as well. Um, share this on your page. Let other people see it. Let's change the conversation. Uh, it needs to be done now. Uh, so let's get uh, get the courts out of managing our forests and get the Forest Service, the BLM, and our timber folks back into the job. All right. Have a good have a good night. Uh, share this on your page so other people can see it. We'll see you later.